0: welcome to the Children's Literature Research Podcast. My name is Mark. I am a PhD student at the National Centre for Research in Children's Literature at the University of Roehampton, and today I'm chatting with Emily Corbett who is a fourth year PhD student at the NCRCL and is also the Associate Editor of IJAL, the International Journal of Young Adult Literature and the Vice-President of YASA, the YA Studies Association. Hello Emily, welcome to the podcast. Hi. And first of all, how's lockdown for you?
1: Um, If I'm entirely honest, lockdown isn't that different for me. I think maybe that's the curse of being a PhD student and a lot of isolated individual research is that actually lockdown is pretty much how I'm accustomed to working. I mean, my friends and I joked about it at the start of lockdown because they're all used to busy offices and London living, etc. And they were coming to me for tips about how to, how to, how to cope and how not to spend uh, seven days a week in your pajamas and whatnot.
0: If you want to know how to survive lockdown, ask a PhD student.
1: Yep, that pretty much sums it up.
0: I was, I was going to ask, uh, how has lockdown affected your your work? But you're saying that actually it's going on the same as it was before lockdown.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been really fortunate. Um because what I study is a 21st century YA fiction that uh, has transgender characters in it. So obviously I don't have to go to archives etc and um with the amount of digital resources that are available now, I've been really fortunate in in sort of carrying on with that. Um I think one of the problems has been the sort of delays in publication of uh, novels that I'd anticipated, including in my research, but now that have sort of fallen slightly outside of the time frame. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to come across as if if lockdown is all sunshine and rainbows. COVID is, is a challenge. 2020 has been a challenge. But, um, yeah, I have been more fortunate than most with regards to, to the effect that it's had on me.
0: And in in a moment, we'll talk about some of the the interesting ways that uh, you have overcome some of the challenges with some of the other things you're working on. So first of all, uh, we're we talking about YA. What does it stand for? In case we've got anyone listening who's who's not familiar with this uh, area. Uh,
1: so it's young adult, but uh, it really sort of stands for young adult literature and uh, media and culture, etc., as a, a sort of catch-all umbrella phrase.
0: And what what is it that drew you to to YA studies?
1: Um, probably started with being a YA reader. Um, and I mean, you hear that a lot about people that study children's fiction more generally, that uh, it comes from a place of of love that they've had as readers. And I guess for me, that's how it initially started. It started with reading the books that were written and published uh, when I was a teenager and enjoying all that they had to offer. And I guess as I uh, developed and as I went to university, first uh, doing my undergrad and then through to master's, it became apparent that that love for those books wasn't just limited to my teenage years. I was able to take a sort of new approach and a new interest in them as a scholar and as a researcher. Um, And it's really just evolved from that. I have to say that as much as I have studied YA from um, where I've been able to make choices with dissertation and whatnot throughout my academic career, um, Roehampton is the first place that I have studied YA as YA with uh, a researcher, Dr. Alison Waller, who is is YA-centric in what she researches. So that's been a real joy of the PhD is that it has allowed me to to hone what i'm most interested in in a space that really has the the knowledge and expertise to accommodate that
0: and it is a fascinating uh, area and, there, and and there's so much and as you mentioned it's it's not necessarily just books you know it can it can en- encompass other media as well and it's 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 quite a broad and exciting field and it seems like lots going on at the moment
1: oh absolutely the field um is so interdisciplinary and um, there's just so much to be learnt from all of the different um, areas within it. So much to be learnt from book studies as a literature scholar or so much to be learnt from library science. Yeah, a fascinating field.
0: And there are sort of two new entities in the field which you are very closely associated with. One is the International Journal of Young Adult Literature and the other is the YA Studies Association. And these are two separate entities, is that right?
1: Yes, uh, it can be a little confusing, largely because there's a lot of overlap in uh, who's, who works within those, uh, myself included. But yes, they are two separate entities, but that are very much um, working alongside each other and, and lifting each other up.
0: So if we could start talking about the uh, international journal young adult literature you're the associate editor is that right
1: I am yes And yes. you had your
0: first volume um out this month
1: Yes at the start of November which was very exciting about 18 months in the making
0: mm, So th- so this again was something that was being planned before the pandemic struck
1: Yes, well, if I may uh, take a moment to tell you about the origins, it's quite exciting for me, really, because um, so the National Centre for Research in Children's Literature hosted um, a YA conference in May of 2019 uh, that focused on being human in young adult literature and. Uh, Dr. Alison Waller, who's IGEL's general editor, and myself, and then Dr. Amy Waite, who's uh, the other associate editor, were the ones who led uh, on organising that conference. And we enjoyed it so much, and there was so much exciting research came out of that conference that we sort of thought, well, we need somewhere to put this, we need somewhere to take this so that this isn't just a snapshot that then gets forgotten about. Uh, so we looked into various ventures, you know, edited collections, conference proceedings and whatnot. And we landed on the idea of IJAL, uh, the journal acronym, because there was really a gap. There was, there, I mean, there are other important Journals that look at young young adult literature, and I don't take away from those at all. But there was nothing that was doing quite what we want to do, which is to really focus on young adult literature uh, in all its international varieties and and sort of wonderful traditions. So. Sparking from that conference, we thought, let's do it. Now's the time. 2020 is the time for this. Um, So the first uh, volume that's been published takes uh, part of its content from that being human uh, in your young adult literature's conference from twenty nineteen along with some articles that we uh commissioned specifically for the inaugural issue um but yeah, so that when I say it's eighteen months in the making, it's probably longer than that if you factor in all of mm. the preparation for the conference and whatnot, but it's been a really, really exciting journey to see it come to fruition
0: um and of course, in the journal um you have um your own article which is called Transgender Books in Transgender Packages, the Paratextual Materials of Young Adult Fiction. Now, for anyone um, listening who is going, what does any of that mean? <laughs> uh, what, what, tell us, uh, paratextual, what's, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, so um, the paratextual features are essentially the packaging. So things like the front cover, the blurb, the acknowledgements, the afterwords, the author's notes, those sorts of materials that aren't within the text themselves, but that sort of touch the the text if you like
0: and um i mean it's it's quite interesting that whole thing because it is it's all part of the package and although of course people say don't judge a book by its cover of course that's (laughs) that's one of the big things that people use when going into a bookshop or you know looking on amazon or whatever they they see the cover and think oh that looks good and and that the type of book that i like to read and all, all of those things so so they have a big um impact on on our perception of of books so tell us about your your findings about these these this paratextual materials Uh,
1: it's quite funny really that you mentioned the the don't judge a book by its cover because aside from the fact that that was my number one choice for a title but someone had picked me to the post um i
0: saw that in your notes (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah Uh, aside from that i guess my article really argues that we do judge books by their covers so much and they factor so much into the identity of the book but also in creating or, or constructing what we understand as readers to be the identity of the author. Basically a lot of the books use the peritext as the space to, to share that they include a transgender character or transgender themes and you've got some books that do that in a really nuanced way uh, that speaks to the lived experiences of the transgender characters or alternatively you've got some not so nuanced uh, examples that use the revelation that a transgender character is present as a hook to attract um, a reader who might be interested in approaching those books as um, an outsider to those experiences. So, yeah, I guess do very much judge a book by a cover, uh, by its cover, because mm. that is the way they're designed, in my opinion, at least.
0: Mm, it's a really interesting article. So Tell me what else uh, excited you about the the process of of creating this journal?
1: Oh, well, I have to say uh, all of it from start to finish was particularly exciting for me. Um, I'm, as you know, I'm early in my career and it's been a wonderful opportunity to to get my hands in there and and do something um, practical and exciting with my research and to also learn from my wonderful colleagues within there. Um, But in terms of the content, one of the things that I've been most excited about uh, is a piece that I co-authored with uh, Dr. Leah Phillips called Ploughing the Field. Um, And essentially, as much as we co-authored it, it was a real collaborative effort because that piece is sort of an edited account of uh, some roundtable discussions that we had with uh, 16 YA studies scholars um, from either the journals uh, board or from the YA Studies Associations Board, you know, bringing my bringing my two loves together. Um, but basically, um, we talked about uh, the state of YA studies in 2020 and sort of asked them to examine where YA studies had been, where it was going, where it was now. Um, so we had questions about, you know, why is YA important in the cultural landscape? Uh, how can we use YA as a platform for interdisciplinary work? And, and what can we as separate but sort of uh, parallel organisations do to shape the field. And it was just a fascinating, fascinating conversation to be in. I mean, we had some amazing people in that conversation that – um you just wouldn't necessarily otherwise have in a conversation together. I mean, we had Mike Cadden, we had Kelly Gardner, we had Stephanie Tolliver, we had Melody- Melanie Ramdash and Bold, to name just a small section of, of the people that were in that. And uh, to be part of that conversation and see all those different perspectives, all those different disciplines, um, just all that that knowledge really come together um, and to be able to share that through the journal as a sort of publishing avenue for that. I hope that those conversations will have a ripple effect through YA because they have had a ripple effect through my research and my small part in sort of writing that conversation up and and sharing that with everybody. Uh, I, yeah, I have high hopes. I hope that it will do something really interesting.
0: Yeah, I think that piece is is really interesting because it is this sort of snapshot of 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 YA at the moment, but also kind of looking forward to um, sort of what YA studies can be. I think and, and 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 a lot of the contemporary issues of what's going on in the world at the moment, I think, uh, are kind of touched on in in that piece, and and it does feel quite exciting.
1: Oh, thank you. But uh, yeah, that piece really speaks to the aims of the journal more widely. And that is to sort of take stock of where we've been, to reflect on the the important, the necessary histories that have led to where we are now in the field. Um, but then also to do the exciting, innovative, forward-looking stuff um, that draws on those histories and, and really creates magic that's so cheesy i can't believe i've just said that in a po- podcast recording <laughs> but yeah something but it's that true. <laughs> yeah it is true <laughs> um it's been a real joy it both both my work with yasser and my work with igel are highlights of my my career so far definitely
0: and it's really broad range of stuff that, that that's in there you've got you know from from cups of tea to kind of discussions of death representation of death and it's and kind of everything in between and you've got um like really international perspectives and, and stuff it's uh it's was that was that a sort of deliberate thing because some journals ha- kind of have a, a sort of thematic focus in in each uh you know each volume so w- was it deliberate to, to try and and have this broad outlook <laughs>
1: Yes, it was deliberate uh, to try and showcase some of the wonderful, varied YA research that is going on at the moment, um, both from scholars who've been uh, publishing for years and years and for for ECRs, early career researchers, and, and other junior scholars who are perhaps not the first article, although this was my first article, but... Uh, yeah who are are starting out with with YA research and uh, in terms of its internationality yes that was incredibly important to us but we have not achieved all we want to achieve with that yet Uh, there are exciting plans for volume two and beyond as to how we can um, broaden that reach and and speak to more and more uh, international scholars from all around the world doing amazing work and, and hopefully get a little piece of that within volume two and three and beyond.
0: And I saw that uh, Call for Papers was was on the site. When was the, the, the deadline?
1: Uh, so it's uh, rather cruelly, I realise now, it's the 1st of January 2021. <laughs> so I'd probably recommend getting things in before Christmas. Uh, but you have until the 1st of January. Um, and I should say that we do accept um articles all year round that is just the cutoff for us to be able to consider it for uh volume two which will be published in autumn of
0: 2021 any researchers listening who would like to submit a paper for volume two
1: please do <laughs> please get in touch with us and talk about your wonderful ideas another really important thing for ijal is that um all of our work is open access uh, so free accessible to download um visit the website which is just igel.ac.uk and uh yeah enjoy enjoy dipping in and and importantly let us know what you think as well um we like to hear what people think and how how we might um, shape what we do in the future
0: it is it really is uh, a great journal and the fact that it's open access i have to say is is brilliant because um you know, I've had I've had many periods kind of away from, from academia in my academic life and the the loss of journal access when you leave university is is, is a terrible thing. It's one of one of the contributing factors in me continuing studying <laughs> is is journal access, which is probably not the wisest, you know, thing to put yourself self through, you know, years and years of PhD study just for journal access. But um you know i would like to see i would like to see more open access because again some of the things that we talk about about getting broader voices in into academic conversations it's it's not possible for lots of people you if if you can't access the writing that's going on the the articles that being produced it becomes much harder to be part of that conversation so i'm i'm very happy that yours is open access.
1: Well thank you. And yeah, it was a real priority for us. Um but it's also a priority for our publisher Finch and Press um who they have three open access journals now as well as very very reasonably priced books. Um and it's about yeah, making the space for those voices by allowing a far broader spectrum of people and just a far broader quantity of people to engage with research mm. so um yeah long live open access
0: yes the research is for everyone
1: <laughs> yes
0: so uh and you mentioned that this was this was born of of a conference so the next thing i want to speak to you about is the ya studies association uh conference that has also just taken place and so this was all happening at the same time the the journal launch and this conference uh, um uh, yes, which you're the vice president of. Um, so tell us a bit about, about that as well.
1: Yes, 2020 has been a busy year, hasn't it, really? we we'll just, <laughs> just sort of pause on that a moment. Um, but yes, yeah, so the YA Studies Association uh, formalised as an association in only June of this year. So it's really it's quite new, although it had been a research network for two years uh, prior to that. But yeah, I work with a wonderful, wonderful team of women uh, who comprise the executive board. So that's Dr. Leah Phillips is the president, myself as vice president. I've got Jennifer Gawker as secretary and treasurer. We've got Emily Booth as the social media manager. And we've got Dr. Rebecca Fitzsimmons as the membership manager. And I mean, why wouldn't you formalise as an association in June and then host an international conference in November? I mean,
0: in the middle of a pandemic.
1: Yeah, if you're not travelling at roller coaster speed, what's the point? Um, mm. Yeah, so we basically, we sat down together and we started to think, what does YA studies need? What can we bring to it? And um a forum for researchers around the world to speak to each other, to benefit from each other's research and to talk about YA and YA studies. Just, it seemed like such a fabulous um, venture that it was impossible not to take it up, even though it was perhaps a little early in our association career.
0: But there was obviously an appetite for it. I mean, you had hundreds of, of people registering. How many did you have in the end?
1: just over 600 people registered from, I think, 45 countries uh, at last count, which was just incredible. It was far, far, far more than we'd ever anticipated. We were just so delighted that people were as enthusiastic for it as we were.
0: And it was um, an amazing conference as well. Um, I was able to attend a few things, and I've watched some things um, since then. But it seemed to me that you really kind of embraced the the limitations of the fact that it couldn't be a physical um, conference in the traditional way, and, and you mm-hmm. kind of it seemed looked at well, well, how can we use technology and um, just the situation that we're in to 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 make it as you know as good as possible. Um, what kind of how did you go about that?
1: Well yeah conference design was really important to us Um, I mean we are an online association so um, as much as COVID did factor into the decisions uh, our decision to to be online was not purely a COVID decision that is how we intend to run all of our conferences Um, but I guess thinking about how we could incorporate the most um, the most amount of voices with the smoothest scheduling and whatnot, and and how we could utilize Zoom to to really draw on the fact that we have so many international researchers who are um, researching overlapping and and interesting uh, aspects of YA. So uh, one of the really particularly important things for us was that uh, the conference was very largely participant led so for example uh, with our cfp we didn't stipulate themes uh, we didn't stipulate any sort of um, format for proposals nor did we stipulate uh, any sort of format for uh, papers or or workshops or, or other sorts of contributions to the conference that people might make we we basically opened it and said send us what you think a conference needs to be in this cultural climate." And we'll see what we can do, mm. and that really sort of ran throughout the whole of the conference organising. Really, I mean, we didn't uh, assign people to, to panels, for example, because the way it worked for our conference, uh, if if people aren't familiar with it, was that we asked for people to pre-record their contributions in most cases. Uh, So for for a lot of people that looked like a pre-recorded conference paper of 15, 20 minutes or so. Uh, And then we hosted live hour-long panel discussions that was sort of part Q&A and part general discussion around the topic and the theme and how that sort of intersected with people's research. Um, But we didn't assign any of the people we'd accepted to those panels. Our lovely conference assistant, Jamie Beanhoff created a table that allowed people to to log in and sign up so that we could accommodate schedules, but we could also allow people to have some freedom in in curating the sort of conference that they wanted. I mean, we had 96 people in very, very many different time zones. So um, the logistics of it and balancing that with the conference was was an important thing for us to think about.
0: And that was one of the nice things about it. I thought was was the fact that you did have things happening across different different time zones, and and it, it did give it this sort of international feel, but also just the fact that, that things were being recorded so that you wouldn't necessarily miss things, even if you weren't able to be there at the at the time that the panel was taking place, you were able to watch it um, afterwards. And we should say that um, for anyone who, who um, did register to attend the conference, those recordings will be available until the end of November. Is that right?
1: Yes. Yeah, you'll still be able to use the link that you access the live portions of the conference with uh, to continue watching any of the, the live uh, panel discussions via recording uh, or any of the initial papers. Um, and can I just do a little plug that if anyone didn't manage to register but would be interested in checking out some of that, just drop us an email at ya association at and and we'll see what we can do because there's some really wonderful stuff in there.
0: There is. And, and that format of, of being able to access the recordings. Also, I I've particularly liked it because there's always that thing when you go to a physical conference of, oh, I want that one to see that one. But that paper is at the same time as, you know, that other one that I want to go and see. So it's, it's really nice that you don't have that sort of, oh, I've got to I've got to choose. You can you can see them all.
1: Oh, is, definitely. It was lovely. It made for an interesting conference experience, actually, because we had people, you know, if you look on Twitter and sort of follow the conference hashtags mm. and whatnot, we had some people that were with us live. We had some people that were tweeting about things that had happened in what was the middle of the night for me or uh, other sort of times or the days. And it was just really fascinating to see the week come together as just a massive resource i mean we've got 42 hours of recorded content on uh on that google drive and just to see people dip in and out of it and make of it what they wanted to was was really rewarding
0: yeah and again a really broad range of of you know panels and papers um did you have some um highlights that stood out for you
1: oh that's a tough one isn't it it's always difficult um Sort yeah, all of your children. When, yeah, to choose when so many wonderful things were going on. I mean, I may be a little biased. I loved all of uh, the discussions that I was lucky enough to have as chair. I think that they were all um, interesting, different, um, offered their own unique things, but, but really, really interesting. But if I had to pick, pick one, um, I'd probably say actually, as a conference attendee, the panel I personally enjoyed the most um, was the fashion femininity and fairy tales panel but I, it was just so fascinating and um, the three academics who were, were part of that discussion so uh, Erin Redden, uh, Catherine Strong Hansen and Abigail Fine they just brought the Zoom room to life. I've never seen such a dynamic and engaging conversation um, between people who were so passionate about, passionate about their subject but also so wonderful and willing to listen to each other and, and sort of respond to each other with it.
0: Yeah, I, I watched that one afterwards, actually. I wasn't able to see it when it happened. But yes, uh, one of the things that struck me about that was the the kind of excitement and, and you had people say, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's really interesting. And and you could sort of see, yeah, new ideas. And that's, that's the, the lovely thing, of course, about when you have conferences and, and when you have people sharing their research is you sort of see how someone else's research can throw up something that maybe you haven't thought of that can shed a different light on your own research. And and that definitely came across in that one, I thought.
1: Yeah. And just being able to be a fly on the wall whilst new ideas are generated i mean that is that is why we as researchers talk to each other isn't it and and to be able to see that um from all around the world i mean i'm not sure precisely where abigail lives but i know that for her it was about four in the morning Um, and that is a conversation that could only have happened on zoom really unless you're thinking about expensive travel costs and logistical nightmares of flying all around the world
0: yeah and i think that that is a another important part of of doing a, a conference like this and i i'm i'm glad that you said this it's, it was always going to be a, a sort of online event because it, i think it does allow people to to attend either as speakers or as attendees who perhaps you know would find it more difficult i know that for myself, in, since, since lockdown, I've attended more conferences <laughs> um, online than I ever ha- have done in the past because it's hard to get time off work and then you have to pay for travel and you have to pay for tickets and all of those sorts of things. And it just does, it, it sort of opens things up. And I think there is the, the increased potential to, to get more variety of voices and, and all of those things um, by doing it this way.
1: Oh, definitely. Um, and I should say that as much as the conference has been our sort of showstopper, to to use some Bake Off terminology, um, it isn't the only interaction that we have with, with scholars around the world. I mean, we run a, a critical theory reading group uh, that happens once a month uh, that attracts scholars from, from all sorts of places and all sorts of career stages. And um, yeah so my little plug if you enjoyed the conference then join the association because there's all sorts of stuff goes on throughout the year that um isn't necessarily as as huge and all-consuming but um that's Mm -hmm. doing some exciting stuff yeah So,
0: so after all of the the excitement of the of the journal and the conference um what 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 are you what's occupying your time now
1: well, after my, my glamorous breaks in the world of conferencing and publishing, I am back to thesis redrafting. Um, I have only months now until my thesis is, is due for submission. So um, redrafting, redrafting and more redrafting, I'm afraid.
0: But it's going well? Um, it's going. <laughs> <laughs> it will be great, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it. So good luck with it. And thank you very much for joining us and sharing all of your knowledge and expertise and and experiences. I've enjoyed very much talking to you and I hope our listeners have enjoyed our conversation. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure to to be included. So thank you. Thank you to you as well.
0: Thank you. And that was Emily Corbett. And thanks again to Emily for joining me on the Children's Literature Research Podcast podcast. Thank you for joining us too. I hope you enjoyed the episode and subscribe for more episodes to come. Look forward to spending time with you again.